Well, after a win like that against a team like that, it is time to seriously wonder if the Zags could shock the world and make a national championship run this month. Woo, boy, what a fun game. Let's get right into it right here, Locked on Zags. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, we are recapping an incredible, extraordinary, jaw-dropping performance from the Zags on Tuesday night at the Orleans Arena against the St. Mary's Gales, a rubber match. Two games previously had been very, very close throughout this one. Not so much. The Zags absolutely took care of business. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about what it means for their seeding in the NCAA tournament and potentially how far this team could go. We've kind of not necessarily really allowed ourselves to believe that this team could could run, make it run as far as the 2021 team did or the 2017 team, team did. But after seeing a performance like that, we have to at least talk about it. We'll close out the show discussing the Lady Zags, who unfortunately fell to the Portland Pilots on Tuesday as well and what that means for their seating and their chances in March. But first, let's stick with the happy topic. Let's talk about that game on Tuesday night at the Orleans. My goodness, the Zags just blitzed them from the start. It's 12 to two at one point, and it basically never got any closer than that. It was 77 to 51. And quite honestly, that doesn't even tell the full picture for a while, like a legitimate while. It did not look like the Gales were going to top 40 points. I think they had 37 points with like four minutes to go. They ended up scoring a lot of garbage time points. Gonzaga brought in some of their backups, brought in some of their walk-ons at the end of the game. The the Gales then put on a press, which whatever, that's fine. Uh, Got a few steals, got a few turnovers, got a few easy lay-ins from that. Ended up making the score look, I don't want to say respectable, but slightly more respectable. Still a 26-point victory for uh, teams that were considered pretty much equal in the rankings coming into this game, had the same record, same, you know, had lost to the same team. Obviously the net had determined the seeding, which uh, one of my favorite quotes out of all of this that we saw was a quote from Julian Strother after the game discussing their kind of motivation coming into the game. And Strother said that Mark Few had talked to them about how them having to wear the dark jerseys, which was because they were the two seed and not the one seed, that was a t- should be taken as a sign of disrespect. That is the way that Strother phrased it, and I just love that, that Mark Few told him, look, you guys are going to wear the dark jerseys on Tuesday, and you should be pissed off about that. You should be unhappy. And I, he didn't say this explicitly. I'm paraphrasing, but you should be unhappy that a computer determined that you're the second-best team in this conference. I think that's a pretty good selling point. I think it's a pretty good motivator. I, w- I would say that to them too. And uh, wow, they did not look like the second best team in the WCC. Uh, they held the Gales to just 19 points in the first half. Like I said, it didn't look like they were going to top 40. I think Mitchell Saxon has scored one of his few buckets uh, at, at around the four minute mark to give them 40 in the game. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess their, their final score is not going to show 30 uh, something, but uh, a really, really horrendous shooting night from the Gales, 33% from the field, 25%, four of 16 from deep for them. Logan Johnson had 20. The rest of the team had 31. That is it. The bench only scored seven points. All of them came from Joshua Jefferson, but Joshua Jefferson, 
He had a rough night. True freshman for the Gales. He had five turnovers. My lovely wife, Jenna, was sitting right next to me at the game, and her observation that I decided to include in the show was, that guy's bad at passing. Yes. <laughs> he he struggled significantly, threw the ball out of bounds a handful of times. They just, the whole team looked disjointed. They looked unprepared, which was really shocking in a lot of ways. I don't think that they were. Uh, certainly, my proximity to Randy Bennett, he was unhappy with their lack of preparedness in this game, but they they didn't, they handled the pressure better. There weren't a ton of turnovers from that one, two, two press, but they also just missed a lot of shots. They just, they, they got some open looks. They got some drives to the basket that weren't there. The Zags rim, rim protection was very, very good. Anton Watson, had a block Ben Gregg had a couple of blocks. Uh, they altered a lot of shots around the rim. Mahaney could not get downhill and get those open looks around the rim that he got in previous games uh, for the Zags. Offensively drew Timmy had 18 points, eight to 10 shooting. With six rebounds, he was named the tournament MVP, uh, and he also passed, passed Frank Burgess. We're going to talk more about that in a future segment of Locked on Zags when we have a little bit more time to kind of dissect it and, and kind of talk about what that legacy truly means. But for now, tremendous shout-out to Drew for, for breaking this record, a record that's been around for 70 years, a record that was set 30 years before John Stockton set foot on Gonzaga's campus. It was set before Mark Few was born. Like this is how long it's been around when Mark Few was born, I should say. But regardless, it has been a record in Gonzaga's history for, for so long. And for Drew Timmy to break that record, to do it in four years, he did not need an extra fifth year to do it. Uh, and to do it without even making it to that final tournament, uh, obviously he will continue to, to set the record uh, with future games. But to do it against St. Mary's in a WCC tournament championship game, very, very cool for him. Uh, he was named the tournament MVP, like I said. Anton Watson, Julian Strother were also first teamers, uh, along with Khalil Shabazz from San Francisco and Alex Dukas from the Gales. Uh, Anton Watson was fantastic in this game again, nine points, 10 boards, five assists. Uh, his play lately has just been absolutely extraordinary. I mean, he looks like not only a guy who clearly should have been an all WCC first teamer, but also a guy who, who looks like he could be a future NBA player. It's another segment uh, for another time. We're going to break that down a little bit more and, and certainly have some very serious conversation about what it might look like if he returns, because that could be a huge difference maker for the Zags next year. Anton Watson could return next year and be the guy. Like that's a very realistic possibility. And again, I, I want to explore that a little bit more uh, in a different episode sometime, but I, I think there's a real possibility that that happens. And then Nolan Hickman, got to give Nolan Hickman from, some love. 12 points, 4 of 5 shooting from deep, 2 assists, a block, and just 1 turnover. He's been fantastic lately. And I know that every year the Gonzaga point guard, whoever it is, just draws a lot of ire from the fan base. It's been like that forever. Uh, Josh Perkins was one of the most disliked and disrespected players in Gonzaga basketball history for really no reason he was very 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 good but fans I think just have extraordinarily high expectations for point guards and whenever the team is not doing well the point guard seems to get a lot of the blame Nolan Hickman is not Andrew Nembhard he is not Nigel Williams Goss he might end up being you know comparable to those guys but he's not that right now but he's been really really good lately last 10 games which the Zags have gone nine and one in those 10 games he's averaging 8.7 points 2.6 assists and just 0.6 turnovers that is an incredible assist to turnover ratio, which is what you want from your point guard. I don't think Nolan Hickman needs to put up five or six assists per game. I know two and a half looks kind of low, but the Zags offense funnels through Drew Timmy. So Drew Timmy gets more assists per game. He also gets more turnovers per game. Hickman takes care of the basketball. He facilitates the offense. He doesn't make mistakes and he knocks down shots in the last 10 games, 47% from three, again, including that four or five performance against the Gales. It did. I, I can't even remember him missing one. It felt like he was automatic when he took 
took his shots. Really, really nice game from him. All around outstanding performance from the Zags. And, and really what this, what this shows, to me at least, is that the Zags are clearly peaking at the right time. They're heading into the NCAA tournament. And yeah, they still have their flaws. But after this, it's clear this team could win a championship. We're going to talk more about that in the second segment. But first, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Maybe you like DeMontis Sabonis to keep putting up huge numbers for Sacramento. Maybe you like Zach Collins in his new role with the Spurs to keep up the high production. Maybe you want to make an exclusive bet like Corey Kispert hitting two threes in the first three minutes of Washington's next game. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zags here in segment two. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen, make sure you check out the brand new Locked On College Basketball podcast. We are doing tournament previews right now. Every Power Six conference has been covered. We're going to discuss what that means. Bracketology reports coming into the NCAA tournament. It is a fantastic show at its peak right now, so check it out. It is available wherever you get podcasts. You can also find it on YouTube as well. All right, well, the big question here in the second segment, can the Zags win it all? We're going to talk about that, but first, I kind of want to talk a little bit about what this win might mean for them from a seeding perspective, because where they get seeded, where they end up playing, that's going to matter a lot in terms of how well they can do in March. I don't think that this win automatically puts them on the two line. They're not quite there yet. We still have to see what happens with some other teams and their Power 5 conference tournaments. I should say power six because Marquette and the Big East is part of that conversation. The main teams to pay attention to if you're a Gonzaga fan right now and you want to figure out if this team can make it onto the two seed line, watch Arizona, how they do in the Pac-12 tournament. UCLA is missing Jalen Clark, who is the defensive player of the year in the conference and one of their best players. There is a chance that that opens the door for Arizona to win the Pac-12 tournament. If they do that, it's going to be very, very hard for Gonzaga to move past them onto the two line uh, for the NCAA tournament. Watch Marquette and the Big East tournament. I think Marquette is the best team in the Big East, but I'm not sure that they're equipped to win the Big East tournament. And if they lose early, or even if they lose in the championship game, uh, certainly if they lose earlier than that, I think they're a team that probably stays on the three line, doesn't end up cutting past Gonzaga, um, potentially gives Gonzaga a more favorable three seed, but could also help bump them onto the two line as well. And then Baylor. Baylor's a big team to keep an eye on right now because they are ahead of Gonzaga on the, on the seeding perspective. But they have a really, really tough path in the Big 12 tournament because there is no easy path in the Big 12 tournament with how many good teams there are in that conference. But I, I think if Baylor loses early, or depending on when Baylor loses at all, uh, I think they're a team that could end up falling down to that three-seed spot as well. Uh, right now, the one seeds are expected to be Houston, Alabama, Kansas, and probably UCLA. I'm curious if that ends up holding with the injury they have, and of course, depending on how they do in the Pac-12 tournament. The two seeds, Purdue and Texas, I think are pretty well locked in to two seeds. So I think those are kind of your top six teams. Gonzaga is not going to clip past any of them. 
But after that, it's kind of a jumbled mess. These are the teams that I think are in contention for those final two two seed spots and also spots uh, on the three line as well. Marquette, Baylor, Arizona. I mentioned all of those. The Zags, of course. And then Kansas State, I think, is in that conversation as well. Tennessee, probably a three seed. I'd be pretty surprised. Uh, They'd have to win the SEC tournament. And even if they did that, I think they'd still end up being a three seed. They're a nine loss team, but you never know. They could end up kind of moving into that space as well. Right now, the Zags moved up to sixth in the net. Sixth. And guess what? It's ahead of St. Mary's. (laughs) Can't be too shocking when you see a result like that, that they're going to flip spots a little bit. So the Zags are sixth in the net. I think St. Mary's is down to 10th. So if the season ended today, as you would expect, the Zags would have ended up getting that number one seed. But maybe they wouldn't have been as motivated to go out there and kick some butt the way that they did on Tuesday. The Zags are also seventh in Ken Palm. So again, if you're talking about whether this team deserves to be a two seed, there's some pretty compelling arguments right there. Sixth in the net, seventh in the Ken Palm. I mean, that's that's two seed territory. They're right in that conversation. Twenty six and five, a better record than many of the other teams there. They obviously played a tremendous non conference schedule. Two wins against St. Mary's absolutely helps. So we'll see what that ends up doing. I think in terms of their ability to win a championship, I think one of the things we need to talk about is this team's defense. Because Ken Palm has their adjusted offense as the top-ranked offense in the entire country. That is incredible, extraordinary, fantastic. Their defense is 74th. Now, this is not should not be taken as gospel. Ken Palm should not be taken as gospel in general. And Ken Palm himself would tell you that. But since the Ken Palm era, which I believe started in the 2002 season... No team has won the national championship with a adjusted defensive rating higher than 22nd. Now, again, while I think that that number is, for lack of a better word, arbitrary, the fact that Gonzaga's defense is considerably worse than 22nd is hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore that fact. Now, my understanding of it is that 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 adjusted defensive ranking happens after the tournament. So if Gonzaga played elite defense through the next six games, stormed through the NCAA tournament, won a championship, their adjusted defense would be much higher than 74th. Would it be 22nd? Probably not. So this team, if they were to win a championship, would be the worst defensive team per Ken Palm in the last 20 years to win it all. Does that mean they can't do it? Of course not. Of course not. Does it mean that that's their biggest flaw and what's going to potentially impact their chances of winning in March? Absolutely. This team doesn't have a lot of rim protection. They protected the rim very, very well against St. Mary's. And that's great. And that was important. Seeing Ben Gregg get a pair of blocks off the bench, seeing Anton Watson get a nice block. They played a really, really good defensive game against St. Mary's. St. Mary's also missed a lot of shots. But by and large, it was a strong defensive performance from the Zags. But other teams... Very athletic teams, St. Mary's not necessarily in that bucket. Very athletic teams are going to be able to exploit some of Gonzaga's weaknesses on the defensive end of the floor. We've seen it throughout the regular season. But there's something to be said for the way that Gonzaga is peaking at the right time right now. I mean, it's clear that they are peaking at the right time right now. They have been on an absolute roll the last few weeks of the season. And I think that they're battle-tested. And as much as you can't quantify that using some of the analytical numbers, it's clear to me, at least, that that matters. Coming into the NCAA tournament hot, coming into the NCAA tournament playing the best basketball you've played all season long, while also having experienced some of those close games. The tip-in by Rasir Bolton against USF. A close, I think it was a six-point win against Santa Clara. The Julian Strother game winner against BYU. Both regular season games against St. Mary's. Even the loss to LMU. It helps. 
It helps to know what doesn't work at the end of games. It helps to realize that letting a point guard hold the basketball for 27 seconds when your team is losing is probably not going to lead to a victory. Those kinds of things help. And then even going all the way back to the non-conference, it's hard to quantify and hard to really know exactly how much a strong non-conference schedule helps a team months and months and months later. But it's hard for me to imagine that playing, I mean, Baylor, Alabama, Kentucky, Texas, Purdue, all five of those teams are going to be top three seeds. There's only 12 top three seeds. Gonzaga played five of them, five of them. Baylor's going to be a two or a three seed. Alabama's going to be a one seed. Kentucky's probably going to be a three seed. Texas is a two seed. Purdue is potentially a two seed as well. Then you have Xavier and St. Mary's. St. Mary's dropped. We'll talk about that a little bit, but uh, they, they're they're more in the eight, nine, seven range, I think, for seeding. So they dropped a little bit, and they, they probably should have dropped a little bit after that game, certainly. Uh, Xavier's, I think, a four seed right now, depending how they do uh, in the Big East tournament. They lost their best player, Zach Fremantle, to an injury. So there's a chance that they get upset earlier in the Big East tournament and drop down to a six seed, five seed, somewhere in that range. But still a fantastic team. Gonzaga played many, many, many single-digit seeds uh, in the NCAA tournament this year uh, or in, in the regular season and the non-conference season this year, and, and I think that that's really going to help them. That c- coupled with the fact that they played a lot of very, very close games. We didn't mention Michigan State. They're a, a, a single-digit seed as well uh, in the tournament. So lots of really good teams that Gonzaga played. They're peaking at the right time. They've experienced those close games. They know what it feels like to lose. They know what it feels like to win close games. This is going to be a really, really hard team to stop. Offensively, very few teams will really be able to stop this team. We've seen high-level athletic teams figure out ways to kind of stymie Drew Timmy a little bit, and, and certainly earlier in the year we were worried about whether the secondary creators were going to step up. Where's Rasir Bolton? Where's Julian Strother? Why isn't there some consistency there? But we've started to see that more so. Bolton surprisingly didn't score against St. Mary's, although I thought he was fairly effective in that game. He missed a few shots. He didn't take all that many, uh, but he's he's been a more reliable presence the last couple of games, or last couple of weeks, I should say. Strother's obviously been on an absolute heater since that game against Portland when he scored 40 a few weeks ago. And then Malachi Smith has stepped up in a significant way off the bench as well. This year against St. Mary's, 13 points, 13 points, 14 points. He was very, very consistent against the Gales, has continued to prove that he is not only capable of playing well against some of the, the lower lower ranked teams in the WCC, he's capable of playing up against some of the best teams in the entire country. And that has been a huge benefit for the Zags. Of course, we already talked about Nolan Hickman and Anton Watson and the tremendous talent and just growth that we have seen from them over the season and how impactful their, uh, their performances have been over the last few months. So Gonzaga's offense, really, really, really hard to stop defensively. They're beatable. They're beatable on that end of the floor. There's no debate about it. So I think this team has the potential to make a Final Four run. Absolutely. It'd be silly after watching that game to not think that about this team. But the flaws that were present throughout the season, they're still there. St. Mary's shooting 33% doesn't necessarily mean, oh, Gonzaga's just a, a significantly better defensive team. It means that they've worked very hard to get better on that end of the floor, and that matters a lot but they still have work to do, and we'll see how that kind of shakes out depending on what seeding they get uh, in the NCAA tournament. All right, we're closing out the show discussing the Lady Zags who fell to the Portland Pilots in the WCC Championship. What does it mean for Lisa Fortier's team coming up right after this? All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags. Uh, switching over to talk about the Lady Zags here. Uh, unfortunately, they lost in the WCC Championship. It was not a sweep for the Zags on Tuesday at the Orleans Arena. They went one and one 
Uh, the Lady Zags lost 64-60 uh, to the Portland Pilots, the number two seed in the WCC. Uh, this was a wild game. A wild, wild game. UP was down 13 at one point in the third quarter. They went on a massive run and ended up getting up 58-50 to before the Zags then went on a 9-0 run and took a lead. Uh, the Zags were leading with 43 seconds to go. Here is a quick rundown of events that happened at that point. So they were up 43 seconds to go. Uh, or excuse me, the, the pilots were up with 43 seconds to go. Vonnie Ejim called for an offensive foul. The pilots go up by four after making a free throw. So the pilots are up four, about 30 seconds left. The Zags miss a three. Callie Stokes gets an offensive rebound, gets fouled, makes one of the free throws. So now they're down three. The Zags get the ball back because they force a jump ball with 11 seconds left. So Zags have the ball. They're down three. There's 11 seconds left. Five seconds later, UP forces a jump ball. They get the ball back. They make a free throw. They're up four points. They miss the second free throw. There's one second left. That's your ball game. Ladies' eggs, or excuse me, ladies' eggs fall in the tournament seating. Pilots go dancing for the first time since 1997. Here's the deal. Here's the deal about the Portland Pilots. UP made the NCAA tournament in 2020. As in, they had won the WCC championship. It was done and dusted. They had won it. They were going dancing. It was confirmed. And then, of course, we all know what happened in mid-March of 2020. The NCAA tournament, along with everything else, uh, was canceled. And uh, the Zags, or excuse me, the Pilots never got to make the tournament. It would have been their first time since 1997 making the NCAA tournament. And they missed out because of COVID in 2020. I am not happy that the Zags lost. I will not ever say that. I'm disappointed. I'm sad. I, I think that it, it's, it's unfortunate what it's going to do to them from a seeding perspective, which we're about to talk about. But the Pilots deserve to go to the NCAA tournament because they missed out on that opportunity. I wish it had happened another way. I wish they had been able to earn an at-large bid. But the fact that the women's team, the Gonzaga women's team, is still going to make the tournament, you know, it's not the worst result in the entire world. Unfortunately, what this means for the Lady Zags is that they, who were kind of floating around the six seed, seven seed line, I know there was already some kind of consternation and frustration about how low they were seeded compared to their record. Uh, the WCC is not very good this year, not a very strong tournament or a conference, and the women's non-conference schedule was good, but some of their wins didn't age all that well. Louisville and Tennessee were fantastic early season wins, and those teams kind of faltered down the stretch a little bit, but they didn't have it really any bad losses. They had a, a loss to Santa Clara in the conference, which was an, an ugly one. They had a loss to Marquette in the regular season or in the non-conference, but Marquette's probably going to be a tournament team out of the Big East, so not any bad losses for the women's team, but now they're going to be a nine seed. At least that's what the latest projections from ESPN's Bracketology Report has. It has the ladies' axe as a nine seed in Columbia, facing Baylor in the first round as an eight seed, and then facing a number one seed in South Carolina, the best team in the country. One of the most dominant, dominant programs over the last couple of years. A team that doesn't look like they're going to lose maybe ever again. <laughs> Don Staley has a fantastic program. Aaliyah Boston is one of the best players in the entire country. And if the Zags, if this loss puts the Zags in a position where they have to play South Carolina in Columbia in the second round, yeah, I'll just tell you what it says in my notes. That sucks. <laughs> that's what I wrote in my notes because that's, there's not really any other way to put it. And you could certainly argue that a team is with a record as pristine as Gonzaga's with some of the wins that Gonzaga's has should probably be higher than a nine seed. The net has Gonzaga 45th. And nine seeds about right for a team ranked 45th in the net, especially as an at-large team. 
They're not an automatic qualifier anymore. I don't think a nine seed is that far off from where they should be. Do I think they're better than most nine seeds? Yes. I think they're probably better than most seven seeds, maybe even some of the six seeds. But it's kind of like the resume kind of lines up with this, unfortunately. Uh, the loss to Santa Clara in the regular season hurt them because that was an ugly loss. I think it was a quad three, maybe even a quad four loss for them. Uh, the loss to Portland isn't as egregious, but it's not great. Portland's like barely in the, I think they're in the 80s uh, in the net ranking. So they're not a particularly great team either. So tough draw for the for the ladies' eggs. Perhaps uh, things will change around the rest of the, the women's basketball conference tournaments, and maybe they'll climb up to the seven seed, get out of that dreaded eight, nine kind of area, uh, get a seven seed, maybe face like Utah on the second round, a team that I think is perhaps more beatable, for certainly more beatable than South Carolina, because I don't think there are any teams that are less beatable than South Carolina. Uh, meanwhile, for the pilots, they jump in as a 12 seed. Like I said, their first NCAA tournament burst since 1997. Uh, so hats off to Portland. Uh, sad that this is... Uh, makes the path for the for the Zags quite a bit uh, more difficult for them heading into the NCAA tournament, but still a very, very successful season for them. Uh, hopefully we can see both these teams pull off at least one win in the NCAA tournament and kind of salvage what has been a not particularly great year for the WCC on the women's basketball side. All right, well, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, leave a comment, leave a review on iTunes, all of that good stuff. We are in the biggest month of the year for the Zags and for college basketball, so I sincerely appreciate all of you who make this show your first listen of the day, who've listened once, who've listened 50 times, 100 times, 250 times, whatever it may be. I appreciate all of you, and I love having comments, likes, all of that stuff. Also, check out the Lockdown College Basketball Podcast if you haven't done so yet. We're in our first season, and it has been a fantastic run. We are very, very, very much looking forward to continuing to grow on YouTube. So if you can, go to YouTube.com, search Lockdown College Basketball, hit that big red subscribe button. Do so for Lockdown Zags if you haven't done so as well. All right. Thank you all for listening. And as we get into Selection Sunday or get closer to Selection Sunday and into the NCAA tournament, a big hearty go Zags.